0: Hey, we are so excited that you are here today because we have a couple of questions that we have to figure out and we need your help. Uh, So, no matter if you are normally a part of our East Brainerd family or if you are just passing through, and wow, that sounded really different all of a sudden, we need help with a question. A couple, actually. Have you ever tried to answer this question? Why is it that you cannot tickle yourself? You ever thought about the answer to that? Go ahead and try right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Try to tickle yourself and and see what happens. No, I didn't say tickle the person next to you. All right. That's not what I said. I said try to tickle yourself and and see what happens. Uh, You can't do it. And I don't know. I don't know why. Here's something else. Why is it that you stay in the bathtub for such a long time and your fingers and toes get all wrinkly, but nothing else does? You ever thought about that? I mean, next time you get out of the bathtub, just, you know, take a look and see. You'll be amazed. And then you'll wonder, why can't I tickle myself in the bathtub? You know, all these things will start coming back to you. You'll wonder. And how about this one? Now some of you runners might know the answer to this and this is the actual question that I had this morning. Why is a marathon 26.2 miles? I mean why not just 26 miles? Is that point two really really necessary? Now this one I did a little background research on. a little background research and I found out that you know there was this dude that that ran for 25 miles from Marathon to Athens in Greece to announce that the Persians had been defeated and when he arrived in Athens he shouted Nicky he really did Nicky and it means victory and then he died and in his honor in 1898 when the Olympics were revived the marathon was set at about 25 miles in tribute to the guy. I mean, after all, you run 25 miles, drop dead. Somebody should have a race in your honor. (laughs) And so they began this, and everything was 25 miles until 1908. And that's when the British got involved. And I'm sorry if you're British and you're here this morning, but it's because of you that everyone now has to run 26.2 miles. See in 1908 the Olympics were in London and the course went from Windsor Castle to White City Stadium, a 26 mile course. Yet at the very end 385 yards were added to the end of the race so that the racers could end in front of the royal family. Yeah, that's it. And so for a while the organizers of the Olympics argued about the length of the run for a decade or so, but but to make a long story short, 26.2 miles stuck. And even if the royal family does not attend your marathon, you still have to run the extra three hundred and eighty-five yards. Yeah. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? Some of you were thinking, I really don't know if I want to get up and go to church today. You know, I'm tired, I don't know if I want to get up. You have been challenged in your thinking already. You're going to be wondering about that whole tickle thing, those wrinkle things are going to be on your mind, and now you're going to leave this morning understanding that it's the British that make us run further. Here's something else you might not know. If you were to run a marathon, you're going to take approximately 55,334 steps. Think about that. 55,334 steps. Sounds pretty daunting, doesn't it? But the greatest runners will tell you that the only way that you're going to get to step number 55,334 is by having the courage to take step number one. You got to start the race and after that it's just one step at a time. You know this summer we have been talking about how we are surrounded. How that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not only those who have gone before us, but also those that walk beside us, those who do life with us. And I just want to give a shout out to our elders this morning and say a thank you to them for the idea to um, have this series this summer to... Uh, mix up our classes in a way that we have an opportunity to meet individuals who are part of our church family that maybe we've never met before but but also structure the classes in a way where there was a lot of opportunity for for sharing a lot of opportunity for telling our own stories and how God has worked in our life and and mainly the the points that have been said over and over are these you're not alone don't quit keep running you're surrounded so you're not alone don't quit keep running but here's the deal it is hard to summon the courage to be able to take sometimes one more step and so we come to the end today we come to the finish line of what has been a, a 12-week series that we've been focused on all summer long And we're going to go and be able here in just a few moments to to sit down again with friends and strangers alike and, and talk about some of the things that are going to be brought up. We're not going to talk about tickling. We're not going to talk about running the mile or a marathon. But we are going to talk about how that our courage is only as strong as our confidence. Our courage is only as strong as our confidence. Because when our confidence is exposed, our courage evaporates and now the writer of Hebrews doesn't suggest any type of false courage or or false confidence that he wants individuals to have the whole book is basically based on the supremacy of Christ and how after comparison after comparison he is better than anything people have depended upon in the past so the writer of Hebrews doesn't suggest anything that is false instead he says you know what we don't give up because Jesus is better No matter how deep the hole we are in, Jesus is deeper. No matter how dark the prognosis, Jesus brings light and chases the darkness away. And so he says, here's what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus. When you're in a frightening situation, you you fix your eyes on the source of your strength. Children look to their parents, players look to their coaches, and disciples. Well, disciples are supposed to look to Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Earlier chapters, the Hebrews writer tells about how the... The original readers, they started off strong and they they started off boldly. And he would write to them and say, look, I want you to remember those earlier days. Because understand, they had gone through abuse. They had made multiple sacrifices. They had suffered. Some of them had been thrown into prison. Their prosperity had been confiscated. But they held out. They held out because the Hebrews writer says they had better and lasting possessions. In the early day, their faith was new and they were bold and resilient. But now they were growing tired. They were getting worn down. They were, they were just starting to wonder if it was worth it or not. And so the writer urged them in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. Look, do not throw away your confidence because it's going to be richly rewarded. Our courage, it's only as strong as our confidence. And that's why courage evaporates when we shift our confidence from Jesus to something or to to someone else we start to wonder is there something better than Jesus maybe you went off to college maybe you went to college and you thought you know what I've been I've been told that Jesus is better my entire life But now I'm out on my own and I'm starting to see things that I've never seen before. I'm starting to hear things that I've never heard before. And you know what? Some things look pretty good. And I'm starting to wonder, is Jesus really better? And maybe it was while you were in college. Maybe it was that first job. Maybe it was during that period where you were in between jobs. Where you started to walk away from the confidence that you have in Jesus. And you began to put your confidence in other things the hebrews writer says disciple don't don't throw away your confidence it's your confidence in christ that will give you the courage to endure and not give up so you grab hold of it with both hands and you hold on tight and you say i'm not going to let go he urges us look consider the one who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart That phrase there, lose heart, could also be translated more literally so that you will not lose your courage. You see, these Christians, they they had lost their courage because life had not turned out the way that they had hoped. Life had not turned out the way that they had planned. And so they were urged to place their gaze and their trust and their thoughts on Jesus. But here's how it usually works. Instead of thinking about Jesus, instead of considering Jesus, we have the tendency to consider our circumstances. We think and contemplate about what we're going through. We fix our thoughts on challenges and difficulties. We focus on what isn't fair. We, we fixate on our frustration. We obsess over all the different obstacles. And, and when you put your confidence in your circumstances, and then your circumstances don't turn out the way that you would like, Well, that confidence becomes shaken and your courage begins to evaporate. You thought your health would be better. Your job would be better. Your marriage better. Your children better. Your finances better. You thought that people would support you, that the boss would promote you. You didn't think about your beliefs having to cost you. Cost you your friends, cost you opportunities. And because the circumstances changed, the confidence was shaken and your courage faltered Hebrew says that when your confidence is shaken and your courage is slipping you consider you you think about Jesus specifically the hostility that he endured at the hands of sinful individuals you think about how he was tested you think about how he was treated you think about what he sacrificed you think about what he had denied to him Jesus once looked into the eyes of some confused friends and he said look I want you to remember something I told you. A servant is never greater than his master. If they persecuted me then they're going to persecute you also and they're going to do this all because of my name. The word consider also means to compare and as I mentioned earlier all through the book of Hebrews Jesus is compared to different people and different things and the point is always look Jesus is better Jesus is better intentionally comparing Jesus can restore your confidence and hope compare Jesus to your addiction compare Jesus to your debt or or to your illness or or even to your boss to your past failures to any of your future fears and then consider is Jesus better and the Hebrews writer says yes yes he is better That is where you place your confidence and that is where you gain your courage because your courage is only as strong as your confidence. And your courage starts to fade when when you confuse your confidence in yourself with your confidence in Christ. You know, I don't know if we realize how often we actually do this. How often we... We take our confidence and we place it all in ourselves, but it's especially prevalent in the Western world because we have been discipled in the school of self-confidence. We are taught that we are to believe in ourselves and that we can do anything that we want to do and be anything that we want to be. We are told to believe it and achieve it. And this type of self-motivation psychs us up and it makes us feel good. And we rush on into the world as conquerors and it's great until it's not which usually happens pretty soon because eventually our self-confidence gets exposed and we're we're forced to acknowledge that we don't have what it takes something happens and we just can't get around the fact that we cannot just achieve it because we believe it hey some of you in the room are going to remember a guy by the name of Stuart Smalley remember him Saturday Night Live character who would peer into the mirror and he would say what Say it with me, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Wouldn't that be great if that's all you had to do each morning? All you have to do after you go through, why are my fingers and toes wrinkled? You look into the mirror and you say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We would love to be able to tell Stuart, yeah, that's exactly the way it is. And that's the way that life works. However, courage has to be based on something outside ourselves. And I don't know if anybody's ever told you this. And if not, then I'm sorry to burst your bubble. And I'm sorry to go against everything that your grandma maybe shared with you. But your potential is actually about the same as most of the other people in this room. It really is. Somebody once told you that you were one in a million. And that's true. But so is that guy over there and so is that lady back there in the back yeah Uh, because every person in in a group of a million is one out of a million right I was reading recently about a dating website that revealed how some of their users answered a particular question Uh, you know they put out this survey and you answer certain questions to see how you're going to be compatible and the users of the website were asked are you a genius yeah are you a genius And according to the results, close to 50% of a certain gender said yes. Now, which gender do you think that would be? All right. So it was the men that said on this dating website, almost 50% that they had genius status. Now, statistically speaking... Geniuses are one out of every thousand. So that means that five out of ten men think they are one out of a thousand. Now how do you make sense of that? (laughs) My guess is that for most of us, our confidence, maybe our confidence hasn't been tested yet. You see, if you have confidence only in yourself, I promise you, that confidence is going to be tested and found wanting now most of you who are here this morning you you know what I'm talking about You, you know what it has felt like before to think that you can handle anything that happens and that you can conquer the world and that worked great for you until the day of your big confidence test it worked great until you got the diagnosis from the doctor it worked great until your wife said it was over It worked great until you walked into the room and there were all of your friends gathered for an intervention. It worked great until you discovered the secret text messages. It worked great until you heard the word autistic. It worked great until you found yourself unemployed. It worked great until friends started bullying you online because of your beliefs. It worked great just to wake up every day and say, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and And then you found out that all the self confidence in the world could not help you overcome the world. Aren't you glad then that you read about a Savior who says, I have overcome the world? Aren't you glad then when you can read about a Savior who says, In this world you're going to have many troubles, but do not be afraid. For I have overcome. You see, when we talk about taking courage, when you read in scripture about being courageous, it doesn't mean some superficial or emotional imitation. It's not about psyching yourself up in the mirror. It's not about putting on your headphones and and listening to Journey saying, Don't stop believing, over and over and over again. Instead, it's about fixing your eyes on the one who says, I've overcome. It's about fixing your eyes on the source of true confidence in order to gain true courage. You know, you do some research and you find out that professional athletes, those are some of the most self-confident people in the world. And yet many of them have life coaches. Many of them have life coaches who have to help them get past one of the biggest hurdles that they ever face. And that is failure. see, when an athlete fails, when they drop the pass, when they strike out, when they're not able to to make some type of of team, then that is, according to research, one of the most debilitating things that can happen in their life. And we understand, right? Because when we fail, we just have a hard time starting out and doing something again, trying something the next time. I mean, if we didn't see succeed before what makes us think that if we keep trying again that anything is going to happen and that failure just begins to dominate our lives and we become known for it it becomes our identity and spiritually it's true as well our confidence when it's in ourselves we start off the race pretty strong but then all of a sudden we see how that our faith is lacking we understand that we're not as good as we would like to be we fall on the track and our failures take their toll. So Hebrews repeatedly makes the case that our courage it doesn't come from a confidence that's inside ourselves. In fact, our confidence is not in what we can do, but our confidence is what has been done for us. And so here's how the Hebrews writer says that we should look at life. He says that we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may have and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the reason that we have that confidence, the reason that he says you can approach the throne of God is all because Jesus said I have overcome the world. It's all because Jesus is the source of the confidence. It's all because Jesus is better and Jesus is higher and Jesus is greater. Nowhere in scripture do you find the idea that you just go through life pulling yourself up each and every day by your bootstraps. It's that you go through life each and every day reaching up to God, humbling yourself before him and he lifts you up. Some of you might remember Maria Runyon. She arrived in Sydney, Australia in the year 2000 after having been legally blind for 22 years. When she looked at the world, she saw no colors, no clear definition of any type. She described what she called fuzzy blobs that were all in black and white. She had a degenerative retina condition known as Stargardt's disease. Now, this did not stop her from running in the Sydney games. She qualified and she made the finals in the 1500 meters, though she finished just behind the medal winners. It was actually her second Olympics. She had been in Atlanta in 1996. But she showed up there wanting to compete in the 7 event, heptathlon. But she finished no better than tenth and decided that she was just going to retire from track and field in discouragement. Except someone noticed that she ran the 800 meter part of the heptathlon event faster than any American had ever done it before. And so she was invited to try out as an 800 meter runner. She hired a new coach, began a new training regimen, and she became a middle distance runner, despite the fact that she ran blind. And she won race after race after race, eventually moving on to greater distances and winning gold at the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg. Marla said that when she ran, she simply focused on the blob of bodies that were ahead of her, and she tried to get in front of that blob. Makes sense, right? She said the final turn was the hardest. She could rarely make out anything and was never certain whether she was on the final stretch. So she said she listened to the crowd and set her course for the finish line and kept running. All summer long, we've seen from Hebrews 12 that we are in a race We're in a race that's filled with obstacles and entanglements and like Miss Runyon we become discouraged whenever we can't see the course ahead of us too clearly and there are times where all we can make out are just these fuzzy blobs that are there in front of us. Other times we can't even tell if we're in the home stretch or not. We wonder how much farther is it going to be are we even going to make the final turn? And the main thing that we've tried to tell you over and over is just keep running. Keep your faith. Keep praying. Keep reading your scriptures. Keep worshiping. Keep serving. Keep loving. The race isn't always to the swift or the battle to the strong. Sometimes it goes to those who simply refuse to give up. And there are those times when you find yourselves and you're just running behind, and, and that's when you push forward going through those leg cramps and, and all the other problems that arise. You churn on with just sheer faith because your eyes are on the prize, because you're not alone. You're surrounded. So don't quit. Instead, focus on Jesus and keep running. You know, there are some who are here this morning who need the courage to take that first step. Not step 55,334, but just, just the first step toward God. And there are others of you here this morning that need the courage just to keep put, putting one foot in front of the other. Do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. I want us to close out by standing together. If you would, just stand where you're at. And I want you to join me in reading the words that we have been focused on all summer from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, father I thank you for this summer I thank you for reminding us that we are not alone thank you for all the stories that we have heard all of those who have shared the way that you have been working mightily in their lives and father this summer there have been stories that have brought laughter and there have been stories that have brought tears And through all of that, we have grown closer to each other. And Father, we have grown closer to you. And through all of that, our confidence has grown. Because we have been forced to refocus and fix our eyes on Jesus. And so it is our prayer together today that that we would go forth from this place, that we would go to our homes, to our to our work, to our schools, to all the places that life takes us. And we would live with confidence and courage. That we would not grow weary and lose heart. That we would be men and women who continue running. Running the race that you have set before us, knowing that our confidence will be richly rewarded father i thank you for not wanting us to be alone for not leaving us to ourselves i thank you for sending jesus as the sacrifice for our sins and i thank you for your spirit that lives within us that keeps us running each day so father may we commit to you our lives again and may we be strengthened knowing that you are with us each and every step of the way and that we are always surrounded. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you need the prayers of this congregation in any way, I encourage you to come as together we sing and praise our God.